good to be back. Uh, I've been slow to write material, but there are just too many things to talk about. So I'm going to try a slightly different format. It's my show. I can do what I want. This episode is going to be a little bit uh, negative, I guess. But um, I think it's something we really need to talk about because I see a lot of problems, not just in the world, but in the church among the people who I think have the answers, right? We're in hard times. Our culture is sick. And I, I believe we're being judged and punished by God. I have plenty to say about that, plenty to say about the culture. But I have more to say about this disease that I've smelled a long, um, among Christians for a long time. We have the answers, like we have the diagnosis, we have the truth, and it seems like there are a lot of Christians out there who I think have good intentions, but they dismiss and refuse to engage in the cultural battles of the day as if these cultural issues are just overheated arguments over tax rates. You know, what's better, 3%? Is it 5%? I don't know. I'm not interested in politics. Uh, should we have another stop sign over here? Should we have a traffic camera over here? It's as if people think these cultural battles are just distractions, you know, that they don't mean anything. So this is going to be directed at three groups of people. First, Christian leaders who downplay the importance of politics. Uh, second, Christian fathers, mothers, young people, old people who might not know what's going on or are indifferent or think it's not a big deal. Uh, but most of all, I want to talk to Christians who are frustrated and confused because they see what's going on in the culture. They understand the cost of failure and losing, and yet the people that they trust are telling them just to ignore it. So, First off, people need to learn how to engage in thought experiments. Bumper, th bumper sticker theology doesn't work in the real world. Reality is complicated, and this is one of the lessons of the Bible. I'm not saying morality is subjective at all. On the contrary, <laughs> that's the opposite of my worldview. But we have to learn the value of wisdom. One proverb seemingly contradicts another almost word for word, right? Answer a fool according to his folly? Don't answer the fool according to his folly. The lesson is you need the wisdom to know when to apply different strategies for different scenarios. So the first idea that I want to correct is this idea that God is in control. And yes, God is in control. God is sovereign over everything. He has complete ability to change any situation any way that he sees fit. R.C. Sproul said that God is in control of everything and there's not a maverick molecule, right? There's nothing, there's not one piece of God's kingdom 
that's outside of his control. That's true, but God also lets things play out. He lets situations play out. There's a such thing as history. There's a such thing as cause and effect. What ha- Just thought experiment, okay? What happens if you're driving down the highway, going 120, and you shut your eyes? Is God in control? Yeah. <laughs> what, if, what if you keep your eyes closed for the next 10 minutes? You think you're going to get to your destination? What do you think is going to happen? What happens if you decide not to brush your teeth anymore? Because God's in control. And whatever he ordains will happen. Why bother brushing your teeth for the rest of your life? What if you choose not to feed your kids anymore? God will provide. God's in control. God is sovereign and he loves you and he loves your children. But if you fa- if you fail to feed your kids, if you fail to brush your teeth, if you drive with your eyes closed, you're going to cause damage, mayhem. God lets things play out, okay? He gives us responsibilities. The parable of the talents is about these servants who are given money by their master and they're supposed to create a return on an, on that investment. And the one guy just goes and buries it, you know? And supposedly he loves his master, but then when his master comes back, his master is mad at him because he didn't do anything with it, right? We're given responsibilities. We're given abilities. And we have to do our best with what we've been given. Second, this life matters. I, I, I mean that, right? This life matters. It drives me crazy when people talk about um, this life as if it doesn't matter. Yes, we are focused on spiritual life. We're focused on the next life. We're looking forward to that. But half of the Bible is about how to live in this life the things that we're supposed to do, the responsibilities that we've been given, how to do what's right and to not do the things that are wrong. The idea that this life doesn't matter, right? And, and here's, here's, here's how you get twisted into thinking this way, that the only thing that matters is your personal relationship with Jesus. That is a lie. It's pietism. It's asceticism. And I know that sounds extreme, but I know the reason I know it's not extreme is because I know you don't believe it because I know you brush your teeth. I know that you eat food. I know that you look both ways before crossing the street. If the only thing that matters is your relationship with Jesus, you would never stop praying, right? You get to heaven as fast as you can, but you don't believe that. You don't act that way. Pietism and asceticism are awful worldviews. Karl Marx said, nothing is easier than to give Christian asceticism a socialist tinge. And, and another thing, how you live in this life is directly tied to your destiny in the next one. And it affects the destinies of other people too. As with every part of life, politics must be subject to God. And it's not a neutral playing field. Here's a quote from Joe Boots' recent book, Ruler of Kings. A very serious problem arises when the people of God, especially those who are in teaching and leadership roles in the church, downplay, ignore, 
or even support the dogmatic religious assumptions that undergird the liberal democratic ideal. Despite its evident anti-Christianity on display in our time, marginalizing and persecuting the faith out of the public space, Christian leaders and thinkers are frequently at pains to defend liberal democracy as a neutral and purely procedural system. As we will see, such a claim to neutrality is badly misguided and continues to do great damage in our culture. So a refusal to lead others politically and give sound guidance doesn't protect us from these battles. It leaves us unprepared, and then we have to figure out the answers for ourselves. I've seen too many people that I love and care about leave their faith because of this. They started down the road with political issues and ended up losing their faith. We should be trying to live this life well for the purpose of saving others. That's called evangelism. If you think that doesn't matter, then you you, you got to read your Bible, I guess. But the inverse is also true. People can be evangelized into apostasy. To, sim- to simply shrug and say, well, they were never saved in the first place. That's ignoring this reality. Christians don't arise randomly according to divine decrees that are completely detached from reality. You have more Christians in more Christian households, in more Christian churches, in more Christian communities, in more Christian nations. It then follows that we should be trying to make our nation and our culture as Christian as possible. Next idea, God lets sin hurt you and your family. God lets drunk drivers kill people. He lets invading armies slaughter women and children. God lets communists overtake entire countries. God lets men get arrested in those communist countries and their children starve to death in those communist countries. God lets things play out. God lets sin hurt you and other people, right? God puts people in different times and different places. Accept that reality. Don't deny it. Fight on the battlefield you find yourself in, not the one that you wish you were in. And and the next thing I got to say a lot about this, politics is not a bad distraction, all right? Politics is a part of life. It's like business. Do you use money? Do you have a job? Do you know how money works? Do you know how jobs work? Do you know how contracts work? It's part of the fabric of our society. Do you vote? If you spend any time looking at politics, is is that a distraction? If you spend any time looking at your finances, is that a worldly distraction? Do you engage in the culture? Do Do you watch movies? Do you watch sports? Do you have hobbies? Then you're engaged in the culture. You're engaged in politics. And there are different levels at which these things can be appropriate, right? If you're spending every waking hour, I don't know, um, working on your boat or your car or your motorcycle or watching sports or whatever, then it can become too much of a distraction. It can become an idol. Sometimes these parts of life are small, right? Sometimes they can be left alone. You don't constantly need to be doing that. But sometimes you have emergencies, uh, like a house fire, or someone gets impaled, 
that's kind of an emergency. You kind of have to focus on that thing in that minute. And if you <laughs> try to fix the problem that's in front of you, that's an emergency, and the person next to you doesn't think it's an emergency, and they tell you, you know what? I think you really just need to trust God in this. I don't know why you're spending so much time getting water and pouring it on that fire. Why are you so focused on getting this person to the emergency room? Why are you spending so much time here? This this life is not as important as the next one. You need some perspective, right? Stop getting so distracted. The political situation we are in right now is a five alarm fire. And and if and if you don't believe me, here's here are some headlines, all right? Number 1, abortion. Senate this is the United States Senate blocks bill to codify right to abortion. And that, that, that vote was only 49 to 51. That was a very close vote for the federal government to protect the so-called right of women to abort and kill their children up until the point of birth. Next one, pro-choice group claims arson attack on Wisconsin anti-abortion office. This is, this is all just from this week, Okay. The headquarters of Wisconsin Family Action in Madison was attacked in the early hours of Sunday with a Molotov cocktail thrown through a window, starting a small fire, and graffiti spray-painted on the exterior wall. Yeah, okay. All right, so, yeah, abortion stories, you know, that, that's uh, the, the topic of the day, right? Here's something else from just a couple days ago. Kindergartners, this is in Canada, Sent home with masturbation assignment. I'm looking at the paper right now. Some children like to touch their own private body parts and some children don't. What places in your home are private? Draw a picture of the private places where you can touch your penis or vulva if you want to. All families have different rules about masturbation, touching your own private parts. Talk to your trusted grown-ups about your family rules. Okay, this was just a couple days ago. Um, another story from yesterday or the day before this teacher from, where is it? Virginia. Johns Hopkins Child Sex Abuse Center hires trans professor 34 who was forced to resign from Virginia school for defending pedophiles as minor attracted persons, right? This was a while ago. So this person got fired from her job because she said that, uh, you know, we shouldn't call, we should use nicer terms for pedophiles. Um, I use the term minor attracted person or math uh, in the title and throughout the book for multiple reasons. Um, First of all, because I think it's important to use terminology for groups that members of that group want others to use for them. Um, And math advocacy groups like Before You Act, Um, have advocated for use of the term MAP. Um, They've advocated for it primarily because it's less stigmatizing than other terms like pedophile. Uh, A lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender. Uh, And that isn't true, and it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attractions toward minors. Um, I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, though, that the use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children. Uh, But using a term that communicates who someone is attracted to doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. 
So that person now is going to help at Johns Hopkins with uh, the Child Sex Abuse Prevention Center. Sounds good, right? Yeah. That's the stuff that's happening in our culture just from the last week. And there's plenty more that I could go over. I, th- this drives me crazy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from people who they bring these issues to me, okay? I'm going hard on the people who are downplaying these issues. But I have people coming up to me and they say they say things like, I had to explain transgender stuff to my little kids because they were just exposed to it in school. How do I deal with this? They're, they're getting it at, that, at their work. Woke diversity training, teaching racial essentialism and, and, and white guilt, right? They say, my, uh, my employer is making me do this mandatory diversity, equity, and inclusion training. What do I do? Do I go? Do I not go? What do I say? What do I not say, right? I just had this scenario in the past couple of weeks. Pronoun requests from HR and government, etc. This, this is this is what people are dealing with in the real world today. Okay, they're getting asked by their HR departments and by their government offices, "What are your pronouns? Are you stupid? I'm a man. Look at me." But people don't know how to deal with this. So this this reminded me of a passage in the Bible. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, is, is a book full of spitting fire and anger from God toward Israel for breaking their contract and their covenant with him, going after foreign idols and gods, and just, just about breaking every single rule that there exists. So God sends judgment. He sends judgment. He sends an invading army. And this is, this is what it says, Jeremiah 6, verses 12 to 14. Their homes will be turned over to their enemies, as will their fields and their wives. For I will raise my powerful fist against the people of this land, says the Lord. From the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. From prophets to priests, they are all frauds. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. So you've heard the expression, yelling fire in a crowded theater. What these people are doing is they're saying everything's fine when they're in a crowded theater that's on fire. Don't you dare lecture me about getting too focused on cultural battles. The only people telling you that these fights are overblown are the ones who don't get it at work, who don't have kids, or don't send them to school, who don't pay attention to history or news, and don't care about the outcomes. It's either that, or it's arrogant ignorance, or the worst of all, maybe they agree with what's happening and they think it's great. <sighs> okay, well, that's all I have for today. So, thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next one. Ooh.